We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Kyle Porter. Kyle, we got a busy weekend coming up. We do. There's a lot going on. Uh, it's kind of the end of the spring uh, sports semester for for NCAA's. So we got golf, we got baseball. Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff, and we've got uh, an interview on this podcast coming up. So busy time for OSU, busy time for us, but uh, should be fun this weekend. Yeah, for sure. Sounds good. I was at the um, Big Twelve baseball media luncheon yesterday. Oh uh, yeah, how where, was it? Uh, the, it was fun. It was always at uh, Mickey Mantle's, which is right next to the uh, the ballpark downtown in Oklahoma City. It was good to see all the coaches. Uh, Josh Holiday showed up. The team was practicing when it started. So he kind of showed up in his full out his full on baseball attire. But it was good to hear from them. I know, obviously, Josh was really disappointed with how they finished, but uh, he was, as always, staying positive and. Uh, they're going to try and win the thing. I think I read that they've been the the championship game uh, three times in the last four or five years. So they've they've managed to play well in this tournament, even though they haven't always been a, a top seed. Yeah, they get going uh, today. We're taping this on a Wednesday, so by the time people hear it, their game will either already be over, or I, I don't know. I don't know when we're going to post this, but um, yeah, you know, they, and especially the way they ended the season, I think they lost. Uh, they, well, they got swept by ten. I think they lost five of their last six uh, Big Twelve games, uh, and all you had to do was win three of them, and you win the the regular season. It was crazy to me to look back. Texas is kind of the the Kansas of Big Twelve baseball in terms of they've won like nine regular season titles, eight or nine of the twenty or twenty two that have been played or that of seasons that there have been in the Big Twelve. Oklahoma State's only won one. That would have been their second, uh, which was kind of a startling statistic to me. But uh, they they do have a chance to rectify that, to get back on track for regionals. They're going to make regionals, uh, or I presume they're going to make regionals, and and hopefully do do some damage like they did two years ago instead of last year. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's all about playing well this time of year. So I know they kind of collapsed there at the end of the stretch, but – you get hot in the tournament, and in the regionals, you can uh, you can make it to Omaha like they did several years ago. So I'll be looking yeah. forward to that as well. And obviously, we got the the golf at Karsten Creek. Have you been watching any of that? Karsten looks like it's in just incredible shape. Yeah, it's pristine. I watched a, a, a little bit of it with my, I had the day off on Tuesday, and we watched some of the women's uh, golf with with my kids. And my daughter was excited that there were that there were girls playing because we're usually watching PGA Tour golf. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm I'm super excited about about the NCAA's out there. I, I don't know, maybe I'm overrating how how good it's gonna be. But I got a bunch of friend uh, golf media friends coming. You're gonna be there. I think that <clears throat> I'm taping a uh, or I'm helping tape a live podcast at uh, Joe's on Monday. Uh, that has not been finalized yet, but I think that's going down. And Oklahoma State's the favorite, so it's it's uh, it could be a formula for heartbreak for for OSU and their fans, <laughs> but it could also be a, a a really fun week in Stillwater. Going to be drowning in Joe's cups if uh, OSU's not playing well. But, uh, <laughs> I think I'll be up there on Tuesday, so that'll be what the first day of match play. Yeah. Or second, I can't. I, I mean, it's, it, the first day. it's the first day. It's so hard because it's like, okay, so if they don't make the the uh, match play, which is the the top eight, that's that's a disaster. That that's oh, like, I mean, they're 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 making match play no matter what seed. No, I know, but my point is, if but then if they make match play, it's hard to say that anything is is a huge disappointment or a disaster because it's match play. And like we've talked about and I've written about, it's so random over the course of 18 holes with the matchups and, and, and how all this is taking place. It, it It's hard to say, well, Oklahoma state blew the NCAA as well. Did they like they, you know, it, I, I don't know. It just gets, it gets weird. And again, that's great for the sport as a whole and great for uh, TV and great for it. I, I think it's good for golf. Uh, like big picture, but it's, it can be bad for really good teams. Like you've talked about. Yeah. I mean, the fact the number one seed hasn't won it since they've gone to match play is just crazy. But I do think it's encouraging. I watched a little bit of the women's yesterday, you know, Alabama has like three or four girls in the top, like 
10 or yeah, not three, top, like three, top 20, I guess. Three All-Americans, yeah. Three All-Americans. So that's and, and they're on they're into the match play championship. So as long as you play well to, or play well to your play up to your standard as far as the individuals are concerned, you would think they could go pretty deep. And it's not as if OSU is just totally crapped out of match play. They've made it to the semis. Uh, would they make it to semis both years they lost? Um, uh, I think they made it to the finals one year. Okay. And they, they made it recently with Alan Bratton. I think they lost to Alabama Alabama when McGraw was an assistant coach. That had to be mm. all kinds of awkward. Yeah. But uh, So it's not as if they've just crapped out. And obviously the, the Alabama model I saw with the females, just when OSU has that many guys ranked that highly – it should it should play over to the match play as well. It shouldn't just be totally random as long as they play well. Yeah, you know who was on that Alabama team, by the way. Uh, Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas. I didn't realize he was that young. It, it seems like it was just a couple years ago. I think I think it's just that we are that old. Well, yeah, but I mean, I I remember watching <laughs> it. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, I think it was what three or four years ago. Something like that. It was when uh, I think it was when. Yeah, Bama won it. They went on to win it. Yeah, he. Well, that that was the championship. They won it against. Oh, Oklahoma that was State. that was the championship. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah memory's not so good. But. Speaking speaking of golf, uh, I got a question for you. I wrote about this a little bit earlier this week, uh, but just kind of this. I don't know. I think it's interesting to talk about Mike Holder and his legacy as his career in Stillwater sort of winds down and and ends over the next, I think we can fairly say over the next few years. Um, some statistics came out on athletic directors recently and, and Holder, uh, is the, I believe he's the second lowest paid AD in the big 12 of the, of the teams that are of the uh, schools that we have data for. So, uh, Kirby Hocutt for Texas tech makes 1.45 million. Texas's AD and OU's AD both make over a million, and Mike Holder is seventh at six hundred and forty-four thousand. Uh, Mike Holder underpaid, overpaid, or properly paid? Oh, for his job title, he's far underpaid. But um, he's kind of a unique figure in that he's already super duper wealthy, <laughs> and I think he's. Hasn't he donated his salary to the university? Like I think he was doing that when he took over. Uh, do you do you know if that's still the case or not? I I think there was like there was some aspect of it, but he still does. T- I think take a salary. I I don't know. I the answer is I don't know. I should know. Yeah, and it, I don't I don't know if they. It's, I don't know if that's in the public record yet or not or what. But I, I remember hearing that he <laughs> donated his salary to the university. The guy loves OSU more than anybody. So I think. While he's underpaid, I don't think it's all that important to him. Yeah, I agree. I, I just think it's interesting to look at, and and I, I'm sort of using that point as uh, a a jumping off place for my bigger point, and that I think he's been pretty underrated over the course of his career, and it's done a really really good job. Uh, and if people want to say, well, he's just close with Boone, well, okay, that's kind of the point. Like, <laughs> I mean. That's like saying offensive coordinators are only as good as their quarterback. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Go recruit a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just I don't know. I, I I don't want, and and we actually talk about this with our guests in a minute. But I I don't want the sort of narratives that people throw out there to overshadow kind of his body of work in Stillwater, which has been as impressive and as monumental as, as anybody's over the course of the last half century, I think you could say. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the Boone Pickens donation changed everything, and Mike Holder's the reason Boone Pickens donated that money. So it starts, the conversation about Mike Holder starts there, and you just look at what he's done with, you know, they've he's his vision of the athletic village is coming to fruition uh, before our eyes. There's obviously been missteps, of course. We can bring up the Brad Underwood thing. You can, I, I've been talking about how expensive basketball tickets were for when they made the Final Four. Tickets got just outrageous. The donations to keep your seats got outrageous. I think that was a big misstep. Um, but but overall, he's done an, a remarkable job with hiring coaches. Just look at who he's hired recently. Obviously, with Mike Boynton and, and Josh Holiday, and on down the line, he's. He's done as good of a job as you can ask for an athletic director. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, okay, we got one more thing to talk about real quick before we get to our guest. Uh, Kyle Cox wrote a really good piece uh, earlier this week. I think it was on Monday or I think it was on Monday about the 10 most productive uh, NFL players that have come out from since Mike Gundy's been the coach in Stillwater. And I think number one's pretty obvious, but I, I was curious if you had any thoughts on that or uh, disagreed with any of them or would would have added anybody in that, that is not on that list. Uh, you want me to read you the, the top ten? Yeah, I'm trying to find the list right now. Okay, so we got uh, Emmanuel Agba, 10, which is crazy because he's only been in the league for two years. Which, but I, I will say, you know, the Browns are super high on him. He's the yeah. reason they didn't take Bradley Chubb is what – you know, their defensive coordinator was on the record saying. So they yeah. obviously think he's going to be a star. Uh, Lane Taylor at nine, Brandon Whedon at eight, Kendall Hunter at seven, Parrish Cox, Brandon Pettigrew, Dan Bailey at four, Charlie Johnson at three, Super Bowl winning Charlie Johnson, front of the pod, Charlie Johnson. Front of the pod, yeah. Russell O'Kung at two, and Desmond Bryant at number one. I'd probably have uh, Dan Bailey a lot higher. I, I thought Bailey was going to be two or three. Really? I mean, the guy's going to be in the ring of honor for the Dallas I Cowboys. I he's know. one of the most accurate kickers. He, I mean, he's on the trajectory of a Hall of Fame kicker. Obviously, he'll have to make a lot bigger kicks as far as, you know, that's how Vinatieri got in. Was, obviously, he's great, but he also hit some kicks in some huge games. That's the only thing really missing from, from Bailey's resume because he's been one of the most accurate kickers NFL history so yeah. I'd probably have Bailey a little higher yeah, yeah I agree I, I think it's just hard to contextualize kickers you know like how do you how do you measure what Charlie Johnson has done against what Dan Bailey has done it's, <laughs> it's it, you know it, it's it's very difficult but Super Bowl um, champion you had the ring with him when we uh him, yeah, had him on the he, podcast he definitely had the ring with him that was insane yeah uh, I by the way, I didn't know Whedon was back with Houston. Yeah, they uh, they re-signed him, and uh, he's he's still uh, still hanging on, still on the roster, still collecting those checks. Yeah, get get paid, Brandon Whedon. Good for him. He's playing a lot of golf, I hear, around here in the city. <laughs> That's what I'd be doing too. That's what I would do if I was a you know getting all that money from the NFL. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I didn't, I, I thought it was a great list. I thought Kyle did a great job with it. He, he mentioned honorable mention was Billy Bajima, which I thought was, was good. Uh, you could argue him over Ogba or Wayne Taylor, but it's kind of, kind of semantics. I mean, Bajima didn't really do a lot. He just played for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he mentioned that Chris Carson and, and Vincent Taylor have a chance to, to maybe crack the list at some point. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was great. That was really yeah, that's, that's good stuff. You you forget how many guys Gundy's actually put in the NFL until you put the put the list together. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we're gonna get to our guest this week, uh, Edward Ed Lore. I still don't know uh, what to what to call him, like which name to go with. I think Ed sounds cooler, but uh, Edward is his is his proper name. So Edward Lore, he's a, a web.com tour player, professional golfer. He uh, played on the 2000 National Championship team, four-time All-American at Oklahoma State, uh, was back in the kind of Bo Van Pelt, Charles Howell days. Uh, but we talked to uh, we talked to him for a while just about OSU and, and his journeys as a golfer. There's a great article. People should go Google it. Sean Martin, my buddy Sean Martin wrote uh, on PJTour.com about just kind of the struggle of professional golf. Uh, at Laura was a four-time All-American, and he's only – played I think one or two years on the PGA tour and, and it, it's just you catch a few breaks here and it's just hard like it, it's it's a very winding journey so anyway it's time for the Coop Works guest of the week Coop Works bring great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City try the flagship F5 IPA the bold DNR Belgian strong ale or the refreshing horny toad blonde for your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends enjoy a cold Coop Works and please remember to drink responsibly Okay, we've got uh, Ed Lohr on the phone. Ed, uh, four-time All-American at Oklahoma State, 2000 uh, national champion at Oklahoma State, and current uh, web.com tour player. Ed, how's it going, man? It's going good, guys. I appreciate you having me on today. Talk a little pokes, a little NCAA golf here. 
Yeah, for sure. First of all, who who in your life calls you Ed and who calls you Edward, and and how do you delineate between the two? Um, officially it's Edward. Anytime it's written, or um, you know, some I'll never introduce myself as Ed. Um, a lot of people call me Ed, and I don't really it doesn't bother me. But print or TV or something, Edward. So there you go. Well, you mentioned the national championship. Uh, are you going to be able to follow it at all? I know they're going to be showing it on the golf channel, but just how exciting is it as an OSU alum to, to watch your home school play on their home course when they're ranked number one in the country? Well, uh, you know, we're kind of overdue to win one. Um, <laughs> hopefully the expectations don't get us too bad because obviously we have – I don't think there's any doubt that we have the best team. I mean, it's been shown – over the course of the year, I think, what have we won, nine tournaments this spring or something? So, yeah. uh, you know, it's always an exciting event. Um, I know Carson will be electric. I was watching a little bit of the women's yesterday, and, you know, the course just looks immaculate as usual. And I know with us and with OU being really good, there's going to be probably more fans than most of these kids have played in front of So that'll, you know, that'll be a big adjustment as well. Yeah, you you played. You were a, a four time All American in the late '90s. Played with with Bo Van Pelt and and Charles Howe, and then played on the the 2000 mm-hmm. title team. What what was the what was the pressure like? Because obviously you guys had awesome teams and and were expected uh, probably internally and externally to to either win it all or come close. What what was it like dealing with those expectations as a college student? Um, well, you nailed it. I. I... I think every year we got better. I, I want to say we finished, I think my four years, literally like fourth, third, second, first, or somewhere around there. So uh, we kept getting better. I mean, obviously we have uh, two guys that have played on tour for a long time. I've been on there every now and then. So, you know, to have three, at least three quality players like that. And you don't go to a place like Oklahoma State not expecting to win a national championship. Um you know, I think I think the year we didn't win in '99 was the first time that a graduating class had gone through there without winning one. So, you know, that kind of tells you, you know, really the tradition of of what what it is there. What do you remember most about uh, that championship team? The way you guys won it? What when people ask you about what was it like winning a national title? Like, what's the first thing that you think of and and reminds you of that of that day? Well, you know, I'm glad Charles decided to play so good that week. Uh, you know, I think he got 23 under or something and won by a bunch. But we had a playoff with Georgia Tech. So, um, you know, that was pretty awesome, obviously, to win it. But then winning the playoff. And, I mean, they had, you know, some tour players on their, on their squad, too. So, yeah, just, you know, I'd been there. That was obviously my last tournament, fourth year, played all four years. So, you know. That was a pretty awesome experience. Was uh, was Matt Kuchar on that Georgia Tech team? Yeah, I had Matt Kuchar and uh, Bryce Mulder were their two best players. Whew. And uh, I think <laughs> Troy Madison as well. So, wow. there you go. That's three tour players. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read, I was reading back on it today. You birdied uh, three of your last five holes in the final round to help get the team into a playoff. So, um yeah, pretty pretty impressive stuff. How how are, like are you aware while you're in it of how big of a deal it is, or are you just kind of out there playing golf? I think I think uh, those days you're probably a little more aware because it's stroke play. Now it you know it's you're probably a little less aware when you get to the you know the final eight and you're really just playing one guy. Um, but yeah, we had I knew we'd kind of fallen behind. I mean, obviously I'd kind of spit a bit early, but. Um, had a great finish, but yeah, I, you know, there's obviously scoreboards. I think it's a little bit different now with the match play. I don't know, you know, that's obviously a little bit more singular focus for the guys. So it's probably, it's probably a little bit different now for those guys. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the match play. Like ever since they've adopted this, it's obviously great for TV. I enjoy watching. I'm sure everybody enjoys watching it, but the mm-hmm. number one seed, the number one seed after stroke play has never won. Like, 
I know match play is, you know, super, it's a roll of the dice practically, but just, do you guys play a lot of match play during the year? And just how much different of golf is that to determine a national champion? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, you know, obviously they did it for the TV. There's no doubt. And, and I, it, it is exciting, but that you, you just came up with the perfect scenario. And really, you know, the only tournaments they play are kind of the USAM and the Western AM. And it, it kind of plays out the same way that very rarely does the top seed win. So it's, while it's fun and it's exciting for TV, I don't know. I don't think it really ever lets the best team win. Um, especially, you know, a team like ours this year. I mean, we want as many scores counting as possible. Um, you know, I think our our lowest ranked guys like mid thirties. So yeah, you know, it's. I hope I hope eventually that it works out because I mean, what I think we won the first two stroke plays when they went to it, and yeah, you know, have not won the match play at all. Yeah, it was crazy to go back and look that your team that won in 2000 is the second most recent team. I think they won it in 05 as well, uh, but haven't haven't yeah. done so since, which is crazy. Uh, I was reading back. Mike Holder once described you. This was a this was uh, six or seven years ago. Described you as a gamer, somebody who <clears throat> might not might not necessarily qualify well, but always plays well. The bigger the event. My question. My question for you: How would you describe Mike Holder? How would I describe? Um... Um, misunderstood is how I would describe Coach Holder. Okay, elaborate. I think he's. That. I think he's. Uh, well, I think he's one of the finest gentlemen. Um, he's he he was always very fair. Um, he was one of those guys that if you if you did what you were supposed to be doing as far as your academics and showing for practice and doing that, I think you were going to get along great with him. If you were one of those guys that, you know, kind of like to push the edge a little bit, you probably weren't. Um, you know, he's not really outwardly, you know, friendly, but I, I thought he was really super nice. He just, he's just very introverted. So I just, you know, I think a lot of people took him the wrong way just because, you know, he's not the guy that was going to come up and say, Hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Um, and I think people mistook, you know, kind of mistook that for being a jerk when he's really not. He's, he's, he's a really sincerely nice person, but he just, you know, he's just a little different. He's just a lot quieter than most people are. Yeah. I've covered, I've covered OSU athletics about 10 years and he's Uh still, he's still kind of a mysterious figure to me. What was it like when you arrived in Stillwater? I've heard stories of it kind of being like a, like a boot camp, so to speak. What was he like when, when you arrived and just what was it like uh, playing for him? Um, yeah, I'd say he kind of had some mystique. I mean, there's definitely, you know, the, in today's climate of kind of players, you know, getting to kind of do what they want. I don't believe that during his era there was any of that. It was kind of, you know, coach's way or, or you can go find somewhere else to play. Um, but like I said, I had a great experience. I, I really enjoyed Coach Holder. Um, I thought he was really fair, very genuine. You know, always had the he always had your best interest at heart, even if he was you know chewing your ass out. And um, and he's a legend in the coaching ranks. I mean, it kind of his record speaks for itself with his yeah. national titles and his All Americans. And really, you know, I mean, you can look at. I know some people have different opinions on me as, as an AD, but, you know, you can look at OSU's, you know, their facilities and, you know, their teams as an overall, all sports, and know, it'd be hard to say he hasn't done a great job, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so when Charles Howell was on, he gave us uh, a great Bo Van Pelt story. Um I'm curious if you have any good Charles Howe stories from college. Oh, he gave me a great Bo Van Pelt story. Um, yeah, he told us. Yeah. He told us, go ahead. No, go ahead. Which one did he tell you about Bo? Wait, he he told he he said that <laughs> he said that Bo told all the freshmen, or I guess it was underclassmen. I think I think Howe was an underclassman or whatever. 
Uh, he told them that they all had to show up in like full Oklahoma State gear for a workout, like Pistol Pete shorts and shirt and <laughs> socks and and the whole deal. And so and so and so uh, Hal gets all decked out and shows up and like everybody's just in Nike gear or whatever, just you know, not OSU stuff. <laughs> and and he ro- <laughs> and, and and he rolls in and Van Pelt goes, "Hey, go Pokes." <laughs> oh well let's see so i roomed with charles for a couple of years and uh actually i told a story a couple of days ago that um you know charles came from a very well-off family and i don't you know he wasn't the most domesticated guy when he got to school so um <laughs> Yeah, I know you guys probably have a hard time believing that, but so so Charles' mom. This is this is great. So his mom came to Stillwater after his freshman year to help him move out, and he was kind of moving in with us. And we were about to start a tournament down at at, uh, at Thornic Hills at the Maxwell. Well, and his his mom didn't show up for like two days, and so you know my mom kind of hung out with Debbie, and she's like, Debbie, where have you been? And, and he said, well, I've been doing laundry for two days because every time Charles ran out of socks or underwear, he didn't ever learn how to do laundry. He just would go and buy more. But he <laughs> saved them all. So his, his poor mom had to do all of his laundry when he got there. <laughs> so needless to say, we taught Charles how to do laundry and, wow. you know, how to at least be somewhat, uh, you know, functional in the kitchen. So he got a lot of good life lessons in Stillwater. And you guys are still pretty close to this day, I understand. Uh, what, you know, Charles had one of the most unbelievable amateur careers a guy can have. And obviously, he's on like the top 20 money list all time on the PGA Tour. Obviously, he's a great mm-hmm. golfer. But other than just his golf skill, why do you think he was able to have just so much success in college and now on the, on the PGA Tour? I think, I really think his, his work ethic is, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And, I mean, that boy can go through a pyramid of balls and then go through another pyramid of balls. And, you know, he's, he's, I'm not sure he's ever taken a day off. And, you know, he's just a, he's just a golf nerd, but he's a really great golf nerd. And, uh, you know, he's, he just, I mean, just look at what he's done. I think the only, I think he and Mickelson are the only guys to keep their card yeah. every year since Charles has started keeping him. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So, but, uh, I really think it's just he works so hard at it and just never never quits learning, never quits trying to get better. You are currently uh, 21st on the money list on the web.com tour. Top uh, 25 get their PGA Tour card next year. Just I, I think some people, they, they hear web.com and, and they, don't, they don't quite know how difficult it is. How, how do you explain to people who don't know just how hard it is to be top 25 on that tour and, and to try to get back to the PGA Tour? Um, well, <laughs> I don't, that's a great question. Um, you know, obviously this is the only proving ground now for the big tour. Um, you know, like example, uh, last week playing in front of me was, uh, you know, Mike Weir played in front of me. Um, yep. this week, let's see, I saw Angel Cabrera here. Yeah. Uh, you know, those guys have both won major. So, you know, there's just so much turnover in golf, um, you know, from the big tour back down to this tour. So, you know, you've probably got on an average, you know, out here on an average week, you've probably got, you know, six or eight guys that have won a tour event that are playing out here. Plus you've got all the, you know, the hot shots that are trying to get there from, you know, college All-Americans. And then you got a bunch of guys like me that have kind of been up and down. And, um, you know, so obviously you're, you're the feeder tour to the top tour in the world, so that's 125 of the best players. So, you know, theoretically, you've probably got, you know, maybe 100 guys in Europe, and so now you're talking the next 150 of the top, you know, probably 400 people in the world of their profession. So, you know, that kind of puts it in perspective. What's the biggest difference, probably? Because you played in some high-level, <clears throat> high-pressure situations in NCAA. What's the difference between the pressure of 
that versus Q school and just trying to make it onto the PGA and even on the web dub com tour? Um, well, number one, you're playing for your livelihood. So I think that's the biggest difference. Um, you know, college golf is great and you want to play good for your buddies and your teammates, but really at the end of the day, it's, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. You know, out here it's a little bit bigger of a deal because you're, you know, this is how we all crazy or not as it is have decided to make our living doing it. So I'd say that's, you know, first and foremost, that's, that's the biggest difference. Um, you know, number two, I think you get out of here and you, you look around and, you know, you may have been, uh, you know, a stud in college, but you look around out here and there's, you know, there's a hundred guys that were studs in college. So, you know, you're just kind of looking in the mirror at a bunch of guys that were as good as you. Um, you know, so it's, it's a hard profession. Do you wish that there would have been a, a, a documentary series made about your team when you were in college and aired on Golf Channel? <laughs> well, sure. I mean, it, I think it's great <laughs> exposure for the program. Don't you? Oh, it's, uh, it's awesome. I only watched a couple of them. I heard there's a bunch of – they put a little too much info there about the Sooner Nation from what I've heard. So, you know, that's kind of disturbing. <laughs> I mean, those guys get enough pub as it is, don't they? I mean, <laughs> let us have something. <laughs> What what's your, do you still have a relationship with with Alan Bratton? I know I don't know if y'all's time overlapped. I know he was there mid to late nineties, which is kind of when you were there. But what's your relationship with him like? Um, I, you know, I've gotten to know him better. Um, I didn't really know him at all. Well, I mean, just kind of casually when at team events. But um, he's a he's I think he does a really good job. You know, um, he was obviously a great player. Um, so he kind of knows what that, what that part it's about. And he's still done a great job keeping the tradition up with the, all the talented players. Um, you know, it's a way different landscape now, I think, than, uh, you know, when he or I was in school. So it's way more competitive. So I know he's dying inside to win one and everyone else is, I'm sure the expectations are just brutal for next week for him. What's your uh, what's your best Mike Holder story <laughs> that you can in, tell in on relation the, to me? Yeah, that you can tell on oh, the air. Anyways. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, well, this is my this is one of my favorites. So my freshman year, and you know, one thing we always did well is, is uh, we always ate well when I was in school. Um, that was coach loved to eat, and so we were playing in Houston and my freshman year in the spring. We had played like dogs and. So he was, you know, we didn't get to go out to a nice place. We went to a Luby's that night, and he had one rule: you could order whatever you wanted, but you had to eat it all. So, you know, I was a freshman, so I'm going through the line. I'm just, you know, picking out one of these, blah blah blah, and so we're all kind of eating. And he starts looking at the bill, and you know, everyone else is like eight dollars, and mine's like fourteen or fifteen. And he just kind of looks, he kind of looks at me and goes, Edward you going to eat all of that? <laughs> and I just was like, oh, oh, no, here it goes. <laughs> and I did. I think Bo or Gooch had to help me out, but, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I never felt worse when I got home. <laughs> but he was, uh, you know, he was a character. I love him. To this That's day. awesome. That's great. Okay, we'll get you out of here on, on this, Edward. Um, we, I, I mentioned to you that we had Tony Allen on last week, and, you reminded me that he was he was trick or treat Tony Allen, which was which was hilarious. But <laughs> what 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 sports and, and and other OSU athletes have you kind of followed and enjoyed uh, watching and, and interacting with over the over the last twenty years or so? Um, I'd say basketball the most. Um, I, I lived across the hall when I was a freshman from uh, uh, Desmond Mason and uh, Alex Weber and uh, yeah. uh, what was the other. What was the other tall kid? Uh, Scott. Got his brother transferred here. Robish. Robish. Scott there Robish. you go. Brett Robish. Brett Robish. Brett and Robish, then, yeah. uh, and then I got to know. I had some classes with with Guy Lee, and got to know him. And I've had dinner with him a couple times when he lived in uh, Hartford, and I was on tour. So definitely a basketball team. And I've uh, hung out with Desmond a couple of times. So great guys, and you know they all love OSU, but. 
yeah, I'd say definitely the, the basketball players. That's awesome. That's great. Well, that hey, was good. probably you know when I was in when I was in school that was the best program, I and mean, we had one good year. Yeah, uh, I think my sophomore year we went eight and three in football, but other than that we were kind of dogs. But basketball was was really good at that time, and uh, you know those guys and Joe Atkins and man they were really they were really good and really fun to watch. So yeah, that team is me and Kyle's favorite team of all time, even more yeah. so than even more so than like the two thousand four Final Four team because. Kyle and I were like the perfect age when you're like 14, 15, when yeah. you're just it's like the perfect age for that. Yeah, yeah I, we I, hate, I hate Florida basketball to this day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with good reason, you should. Freaking Mike Miller. I hate it. I just hate it. <laughs> I don't know, man. I got played in the NBA. I probably played in the NBA for 20 years, you know. He really did. Then he was... He, he, he also he the, beat the Thunder in the NBA Finals, so I don't the, I don't like him either. He's the Keaton Page there you go, of the that's NBA. Two reasons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Edward. Hey, uh, good luck this week in Nashville. We appreciate your time. Hey, how, by the way, how was it playing with with Solly and Tron last week? Oh, those guys are they're legends. They're so much fun, and and you know I think what what they do for golf just the kind of levity, and you know they're funny guys and. Tron's a real character. I mean, you can tell Sally's a little more buttoned up, and then Tron's kind of more of a bitch guy. But <laughs> I had a great time. And, uh, you know, Sunday I got to play with uh, two of the guys on the curling team. So that was kind of a hoot, too. Yeah, that's that's uh, great. Yeah, Sally's a good friend, and a, he's a great dude. So I'm, I'm wait, glad was, you get. Was that curling guy using a gold medal as his ball marker? <laughs> yeah, I guess they didn't do it on Sunday, but I think the first day they did. So that was, okay, I saw that. Yeah. I mean, why not? You know, there's how many other people going to be able to do that? <laughs> That's a ball or move. That's a ball or move if I've ever seen one. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So. That's great. Okay, Edward. Hey, good luck this week in Nashville, and uh, best of luck making it to the PGA Tour next year. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Go Pokes. Okay, we'll talk to you later. All right, bye-bye. Okay, Carson. Uh, really, really fun interview there with uh, with Edward Lore. And uh, what was your biggest takeaway? Oh, just uh, the the impact Mike Holder makes on those guys. Like, yeah. like he said, he's kind of misunderstood, and he really is. And like, as I mentioned, he's just kind of this mysterious figure you you see, and he'll pop up at a a press conference every now and then. But you don't you don't really get to know the guy very well, and uh, it just seems like everybody who played for him just swears by him and and says he impacted them in a in an incredible way so it's always i can i can't get enough like mike holder stories he's just this mysterious figure that has you know become uh obviously a great athletic director but just was a a, just a legendary uh golf coach i love hearing uh stories about like guys who room together like hal talking about bo van pelt and uh, lore (laughs) talking about Hal and how he didn't he didn't know how to do laundry. It's just hilarious. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah, it was it was really good. Uh but yeah, man, I, I just I'm so I think that when people watch professional golf and you see um you see Jordan Spieth, you see even Ricky Fowler. Like Ricky Fowler is rich and has won tournaments on the PGA tour and almost won majors and had a great career. You think that's the norm? And it's it's not. Guys like Edward Lore, that that's the norm. Even for guys that were really good in college, um, it's just it's a really difficult profession. And I'm always, I don't know if inspired is the right word, but I'm always so intrigued by those guys' stories. So when you get to talk to one of them, uh, I mean, Edward, he's 40 years old and he's trying to he's trying to earn his PGA Tour card for like the third time for 2019, and it would be awesome. I mean, he was playing mini tours. He was playing tours that you probably haven't even heard of last year. And now he's a couple of tournaments away from the PGA tour next year. So it's, he said it, but it really is a crazy game. And uh, it, it's always fun to hear from guys like that. Yeah. And that's, that's so fascinating to me about golf. Like uh, Ricky Fowler was obviously an awesome college golfer. Number one recruit in the country. I believe he was only there two years. And I think he all American yeah. both. I want to say, I can't remember if he all American his second year, but, he was a good, really good college golfer, but you could argue Lore had a had a he obviously had a longer college career, but you could, you could argue they had the same college career. 
what's the difference between a guy like him and a guy like Fowler? It just it, it's not as if they're practicing harder. Like everyone can do that. I guess it's just how you handle pressure. I think that's the one difference, I guess, between guys like Fowler who are just on the tour immediately versus guys who kind of have to work their way through it. I, I think a lot about Kevin Tway. Every time I see him on TV now, he's playing really well and making leaderboards. And it took even a guy like that who grew up at Oak Tree. His dad played on the tour forever, won a major. Uh, he's had instruction his whole life, played at OSU, was an unbelievable OSU golfer. Even he had to like go down to the web.com or even other tours just to yeah. figure out how to do it. That just has always fascinated me and just hit Edward's story and, and guys like Kevin Tway just kind of illustrate just how hard it is to make it. Yeah, totally. I think, I think there is some aspect of – uh, I don't know if this is the right word, but like repeatability in your swing, making, making the PGA tour is all about ball striking. People think it's about putting. It's not, it's all about who has the best swings and hits the ball the best. You can make it if you're a great putter, but it's hard to make it solely on putting that, that that's like five guys out there that do that. It's all about ball striking. And if you can repeat what you, and, and you said it, if you can repeat, if you can repeat it under pressure, like that's the thing. That's the deal. That's the Jordan Spieth. It's so hard to do though. And I think that <clears throat> when you get to some level, it's all it becomes all mental. Like I don't know if Edward Lore is a is a I mean, I he's not as good of a ball striker obviously as somebody like Fowler, but he's not that much worse. And so it becomes like you have to be uh just mentally better than other people. And I think that sometimes results in uh I don't know. You come off as arrogant or cocky or whatever, but that's that's sort of what it takes. It's it's so weird. It's such a psychological deal, especially at that level. And so uh, I don't know. It's I'm always so interested to hear from those individual guys' stories. For sure. You ready for a throwback? Throwback of the week. Uh, this week's throwback brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, do you want to go first, Carson, or you want me to, yeah. to roll? I'll go okay. first. And I, I got to give a give a tip of the cap to uh, Edward on this one. Uh, Brett Robish is <laughs> a he is a totally forgotten figure in OSU basketball history. He obviously he's kind of uh, <laughs> he's an Underwood type. He can't he transferred from Illinois to Oklahoma State, so he's kind of the inverse Underwood from uh, I think 94, 95 was his first year in college. <laughs> but he was so good, Kyle. I remember going to games with my dad. He played in, at OSU from 96 to 98. And he was so good. Like he had a, he had a brother, a twin brother that uh, transferred to OSU first. But uh, he got there and immediately was a, just total stud. He averaged uh, nine and six his first year and then 15 and eight his last year. So he was really good his, his senior year. And he's just a totally forgotten man in OSU basketball history. And you know, we talk about the Alex Webbers and, you know, other, uh, you know, Andre Williams, guys like that. But Robish was good. He was a, uh, obviously nowhere near as good as Nick Collison, but a Collison type. He had like all the post moves, could shoot it from the elbow. He was, he's a really good player. And a guy, a guy I like to bring up is kind of a guy who just doesn't ever quite uh, get his due. So he's definitely uh, underrated. Did did him or his brother did did somebody from the Robish family end up at playing at Rice? Uh, Scott may have transferred. Maybe I have it backwards. Am I thinking of Jason Scare? Uh, I think you're thinking of Scare. He he definitely transferred. You remember him? Yeah, he hit a huge uh, <laughs> buzzer beater. I think this in Gallagher Iba. This might be old man radio, but I'll I I love it. I love talking about uh, this. Just I don't know old old time guys. It's fun. Robish uh, transferred from OSU. Scott Robish transferred from OSU to Butler. Okay. So the uh, the inverse never was Brad Stevens. Yeah, there we go. Thanks, thanks, Doug. <laughs> uh, okay, mine is not a person, but uh, it's actually the 1995 NCAA golf championships. We've been talking a lot of golf. That was one of the more famous uh, finals ever. Oklahoma State Stanford tied went to a playoff. Stanford, uh, obviously led by um, Nota Begay, Casey Martin, and somebody named Eldrick Woods, who was a freshman. <laughs> uh, they uh, they lost in a playoff to OSU. Here, here's how crazy it was, Carson. I didn't know this. I went back and read a few articles and part of this book today. 
so you go to the playoff and you got five guys that are playing and they all get to play one hole and four of the scores count. Well, one of Oklahoma State's guys who had who was going to play left after like right after they finished. I guess they finished before Stanford because he had to catch a plane to go to the British amateur that he was playing in. <laughs> So Oklahoma State plays the playoff with four guys, which is fine because only four scores count, but now they don't get to throw one out. Mm-hmm. And they made uh, two birdies and two pars, and I think Stanford made four pars, so they ended up easily beating them in a playoff. Alan Bratton made a 35-foot birdie in the playoff, in, on the, in the one hole that he played in the playoff to help secure the, uh, the title. And uh, down goes Tiger. In uh, It was actually at the Ohio State course, which is where they just won the regional. So pretty – Pretty crazy rabbit hole that I went down for too long of a time today. I wish there was video of this. Surely there's video of this somewhere. I want to see Bratton doing a tiger fist pump while Tiger <laughs> watches from the green. How great would that have been? I mean, Bratton obviously had some. He had he had a bit of a legendary career with just that putt alone. You know, yeah, I mean, he was uh, good. sinking that for the win is pretty incredible. But that's uh, is that covered in the uh, the book, the last putt that you were talking yeah, about on the, on the blog? That is the book for the most part. I mean, there are offshoots of it, and I haven't finished it completely. But yeah, that's that's so much of of what it's about. Um, well, I ordered it. I can't wait to read it. And um, yeah, I mean, Oshu Golf was Bama football back in the back in the nineties and, and even beyond. Yeah, and and Laura mentioned this, and he was right. Um, that te- so ninety nine was the first time I think under Holder that there had been a four-year period in which, uh, like, they didn't win a title. So if you came through OSU any time between uh, whenever Holder started and then 96, you won a title. And But the 95 team, Bratton was a senior, and that was his last chance at it. Like, they hadn't won a title since he had been there, but they did that year over Stanford. So that was that was a big deal. It was, it was wild. It was crazy. Did you ever go to uh, basketball games in Old Gallagher? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if you were on the right side of the building as I was, but I remember every time we'd walk in, they used to have all the golf trophies displayed on the first floor before we go up the stairs to our seats. And I remember even as I was probably seven or eight years old at the time, I remember walking. The whole wall was like Big Eight and national championships for golf. And I remember asking my dad, "Like, is this normal to have this many trophies?" My dad just turned around and goes. We're really, really good at golf. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned at a young age, oh, wow, oh, she's awesome at golf. Who knew? That's that's great. That's so good. <laughs> it's like we're, he's like, we're the best at golf. <laughs> that's what he said. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, Carson, uh, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit, and then we will come back and wrap this show up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, uh, we let's go ahead and skip overrated, underrated. I think we can save that for next week. We've already gone, I think, over an hour by now. So uh, just final thoughts and, and what you're looking forward to uh, about this weekend. Yeah, can't wait to watch uh, the Big 12 tournament, obviously. OSU is the two seed. That's it's a really good seed, obviously, much higher than they've been in recent years. Uh, I think it's interesting how well they tend to play there under Josh Holliday. They've made three championship games since he's been the coach. So looking forward to that. And But, Kyle, I'm just I'm so fired up for the golf. I, I can't wait. Um, I can't wait to watch it all on Golf Channel. I can't be up there this weekend because i got to be in studio. But... Uh, can't wait to watch. I hope OSU and OU play well because I think I, I, I heard Kyle that uh, OU and OSU are paired together for stroke play. So that's going to be yeah in, intense from the it's, jump. You know, we yeah. were talking about them getting paired together in match play. Well, the galleries will be huge. I mean, the whole the entire course is going to be following the OU and OSU groups. So that'll be 
it's going to be crazy from the first day. I, I can't wait to watch it. I'm shocked that uh, that the or I can't even get this out. I was so excited to say it. The organization covering the NCAA's is also making a documentary uh, about OSU and OU. So I'm stunned that they're paired together for the first few rounds. Of- <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, the NCAA got a call from the the head of Golf Channel and said. <laughs> Look, we're shooting OU and OSU out on the course for our documentary. You're pairing them together. We're not covering this entire course. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You know, we talked about this last week, but I I do think there's actually a decent chance that Fowler could show up because I was wrong about him not playing uh, Colonial. He is playing in Fort Worth this weekend. And he, well, no, here's the thing though. He, so he hadn't played it since 14 and he's playing it this year. I think he might fly up there like on Sunday night and and maybe be there on on Monday. Wouldn't that make sense? That's his day. That's a day off anyway. Yeah, it's a short I mean, short I, flight. That's the the T Boone flight. <laughs> he uh, made that video for T Boone cheersing him. So yeah, I think I would wager a lot of money Fowler's going to show up. One one to obviously watch, but I think the fact he's executive producer of this yeah. show, I think he wants to be there to support his guys and and obviously. Uh, Put a bow on the. I think. I think he wants to pop the champagne bottle when they when they win on on Golf Channel. That would be that would be incredible. Yeah. So I I think that we might we might get a little Ricky Fowler time on on Monday or Tuesday and maybe even beyond that. So should you anyway, and I just hold on? Should you and I just uh, hit record on our phone and then you and I just <laughs> you stand on one side of him, I stand on the other, and just knock out a quick pod when he doesn't know we're recording. Hey, Ricky, talk I, some I, golf. I, I know this is the, literally the last thing in the world you want to do right now. <laughs> hey, uh, Ricky, what, what kind of coop beer do you drink? I think that's a good conversation starter. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's awesome. Um, well, yeah, I'll be up there either Saturday or Sunday, so we will get together on uh, Monday or Tuesday and uh, have some fun in Stillwater. Yeah, looking forward to meeting uh, your, your golf gang, your golf media yeah. gang. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be a fun time. So I will uh, talk to you then, and we'll do another one of these next week. Sounds good. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. See ya.